0: North Carolina pit was everything we thought it would be. I I still somewhat jokingly, because I don't know if you know this, but Larry Fedora never lost to Pat Narduzzi. Um. Well,
1: that doesn't that that's not surprising because I knew that North Carolina was always kind of a thorn in their side, even last year. And I was unaware of the fact that they had not beaten North
0: Carolina. Like since joining yeah. the ACC. It's the only team they haven't beaten. They have Which beaten Clemson. Which is so
1: weird. <laughs> but it also, this is why the Coastal is the best. It has weird rules of just like, this is how the universe works. And the universe works that North Carolina always beats Pitt.
0: Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow. Um, this week... I'm <laughs> Um, Shout out again to my producer, who sh- he he basically reached out to me after the North Carolina Pit game, and he was like, "You know who you need to get on," and I was like, "Who?" and he and he said Nicole Auerbach, and I'm already <laughs> friends with Nicole. Beca- and uh, what, was beca- I,
1: what was I tweeting about that game that inspired that? Was it so? Was it your tweeting about Pitt's fourth down decision making?
0: It was that, but also Nada, my friend Nada knows, and I do too, that you are a coastal division aficionado, just like me. And so he was like, "This is the most perfectly (laughs) coastal game ever." So this this feels like the you know this feels like the time to have Nicole on. Uh, And I was like, "You are so right about this." I and (laughs) Nicole, by the way, is. Works for The Athletic. She is a national college football writer, but she also co-hosts... Um, you co host on the ACC channel on Sirius as well, right? And, yes. And mm-hmm. um, you also do the podcast with Grace about Clemson um, for The Athletic as well. Yes. With Grace Rayner.
1: Yeah. And I- I'm still like... I- I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that she was not as into the Coastal as I thought she was. Like, I thought <laughs> she had by like osmosis picked up a lot of that because we do spend a lot of time together every week. And I'm glad that you explained it to her because I really thought she already knew all that.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Grace has not had to think about the variety of scenarios um, in the Coastal Division over the years like I have. Um, (laughs) Like she didn't know uh, what happened in the event of a seven-way tie where all of the tiebreakers um, could not be exhausted by other means. And this is like still my dream that this will happen. It cannot happen this year, um, sadly, but it's still my dream. Every year, every year it's our (laughs) dream.
1: It actually, the dream lasted pretty long into this season. Like, yes, it was basically until like a week ago, which is pretty, uh, pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I do still think probably the tiebreakers would have worked themselves out somehow. But like my dream is that we eventually get to the place where they have to like draw names out of a hat or whatever it is, (laughs) because that would just be amazing. And I will do like everything in my power to be there for that in person. Um, I'm sure they won't let me, but I will still try. Is Um, is
1: that actually like the last thing? That's the last thing.
0: That's the last thing. Okay. But like I said, there are like several ways of like not doing that though. So I feel like probably won't, but uh, it's the dream. And yeah, North Carolina pit was everything we thought it would be. I I still somewhat jokingly, because I don't know if you know this, but Larry Fedora never lost to Pat Narduzzi. Um, Well... (laughs) That
1: doesn't, that that's not surprising because I knew that North Carolina was always kind of a thorn in their side, even last year. And I was unaware of the fact that they had not beaten North Carolina, like since
0: joining yeah. the ACC. It's the only team they haven't beaten. They have Which beaten is Clemson. Which so
1: weird. <laughs> but it also, this is why the Coastal is the best. It has weird rules of just like, this is how the universe works and the universe works that North Carolina always beats pit so i don't know what just happened like it's like we had a tectonic shift in like the world and the earth and the ground that we live on so i don't know what that means for the coastal moving forward because that was one of the universal truths
0: Well, and what was cracking me up in that game is it's like playing out and Pitt has this big lead and North Carolina is roaring back in the fourth quarter as they are want to do. And you see like both fan bases, at least I did on my timeline, being like, well, we know how this is going to end. And it's like I don't know that we do because you have like you have like pit in late games, which is bad enough in its own right. Late close games, and then you have North Carolina, who I believe David Hale tweeted out the stat like it's something absurd. Like they have the most in the last decade games coming down to the last possession, and they have like the most losses in that scenario as well. Um,
1: so, it, like, it is, it was just it was just remarkable. It was it was really remarkable, and then you throw on the fact that the Steelers were playing at the same time and like and how that game ended. Yeah, too, and how like, that game ended, but like how just like 90% of the city of Pittsburgh was like focused on that and complaining that Pitt was also playing at the same time and that they'd scheduled these two games at the same time on a Thursday or Friday, whatever day, Thursday. Thursday yeah. Um and it was just it was so much going on. Um but yeah, I mean like here another universal truth North Carolina always plays one possession games. So, like, we should have realized that when with the Clemson game instead of being like, oh, my God, how could Clemson almost lose to North Carolina? Well, guess what? It is a universal truth that everyone will play a one possession game against North Carolina. We just didn't apply the coastal rule to that game at the time.
0: Yeah. And and North Carolina fans are already very nervous because they will almost certainly because they're going to beat Mercer this week. They're almost certainly going to be playing NC State in the final game of the year at NC State like, for the right to go to a bowl. What NC State does, I don't know yet, but, like, that's what's going to happen. And they've played every single game the same way. Yes. Like, just that's what it is. (laughs) And this is a historical thing. It's not just this year. Brian Ives from um, ESPN, it was their three, he tweeted this out, it was their 319th one-possession game as a member of the ACC. They passed NC State in that game for the most in ACC history. They are 156, 155, and 8 in those games with a scoring margin of plus 7. Like, they played the same game.
1: All Again, yeah. universal truth. There are things that happen in this division that just are like, th- it's basically fact.
0: I don't know how you feel about this theory, but I've been trotting it out all year that, like, everyone, I feel like the Atlantic that teams that aren't Clemson have really caught a big case of the coastal as well because yes. the, that, oh, that division makes no sense either. Like, yes. the way. <laughs> uh,
1: thank you for putting it that way. I've been saying, like, I've just been saying, like, oh, the ACC as a whole, like, literally, like, when I have co hosted on Sirius on Fridays and we have to do game picks, I've literally flipped a coin. That has been how I made my choices because I feel like the whole ACC has been that way, but Clemson. And so I totally agree. I feel like everything is coastal except for Clemson right now.
0: It's sometimes been a little bit more lopsided where there are like more good teams in the Atlantic, but especially like, and we're going to get to... Wake Clemson next, especially with some of the injuries that Wake's dealing with right now with Sage Sherratt out for the year. They didn't have Scotty Washington either, so that's two of their top wide receivers down against Clemson. You already knew how that game was gonna go. And it went just about how uh how we all thought, really. Um 52 to three. Uh Clemson looks real the only reason they got the three is because Clemson, I think, fumbled a punt at like their own twenty-eight. And that's really the only reason Wake scored at all.
1: Yes. Um, And, you know, like I I had been hoping that that game was going to be good, especially like considering how Wake Forest started the year, um, you know, and especially Jamie Newman and some of those big games. But again, he, you know, he had his receivers in certain games. They were much healthier, Um, but I'm still a little bit surprised by the spread. And, And again, I guess I forgot, like there are just some universal truths in this league that like Clemson becomes like a steamroller at this time in the season. Um and, and clearly the, the the line was was even low. And you know, it's just it's just a little disappointing. I mean, but Wake Forest has obviously had an incredible season. Um, and it just feels like they always lose, you know, their top receivers before their big games, and and that just sucks. Like it it, it really does. Um, but it's pretty remarkable what Dave Clawson's built. Um and and I do think though, to your earlier point about how unpredictable everyone else is, is That, you know, they've had the last like three weeks have been like, you don't know what Wake Forest team you're going to get. And that was a team that I felt like fairly comfortable with, like for the first couple months of the season being like, oh, for sure. Are they the second best team in the ACC? Like you could make that case. Um, And then now it's a little bit like, I don't know what team's going to show up. But I mean, still just a remarkable season, no matter how it ends, no matter how banged up they got.
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you. It it just sucks because Sage Surratt was really fun to watch. And, um, you know, Dave Claussen even said it. He would have loved to have seen how his team stacked up like healthy against them. He still knows they're going to lose like he's not dumb. um, But, you know, he just wanted to see where his team was at and maybe where that offense was at. But you could see Brent Venables like had them ready for that tricky kind of RPO offense that Wake runs where they really wait till the last second to sort of give away what they're doing. But they were they were more than ready for it. But still, he would have liked to have seen it. With wake at full strength, but that's that's the way it is. It feels like that's a theme for a lot of ACC teams coming down the stretch here too. And gosh, really across the country, kind of stinks. But yes,
1: yeah, uh. and you know, and then I mean, and then you have a couple that are kind of turning the corner. You have you have Louisville becoming bowl eligible, which is way beyond what I was expecting for year one of Scott Satterfield. Just considering what he inherited, Florida State. Um, I mean, obviously they didn't play high quality opponent this week, but for them to be bowl eligible, the interim head coach with search going on um, and just so many things happening there. That's really remarkable. Um, so it's been, it's definitely been a strange season. Virginia tech coming on suddenly looking really good. And like the, the Virginia tech Duke result, I think is going to be the weirdest <laughs> yes. one of the entire season in this league. I still do not understand how how both sides were able to do that in that game.
0: Yeah, there was, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of weird in that game and I, it was before Virginia Tech made the switch to Hooker, And I think yeah. that explains some of it. Um, well, but, but like certainly not to all give all of up
1: that many points to a team that were like, can't score against Syracuse. Like <laughs> no. just, it's just so strange, but yeah, no, I really like Hooker. I really like that kid. I think he's been, he's been great for them. He's really fun to watch. Um, but I, I just, that result, there's always something every year where you look back and you're like, this didn't make any sense. Um, and at the time it did. And it felt like, you know, just rock bottom for the Hokies and this and that. And then it's just going to be an aberration.
0: Yeah. And before we, we move on to another game though, I did want to touch on Clemson. You mentioned they got into, they're into their war machine mode right now. Yeah. This is just sort of what they do. They stop messing around. Um there's probably, though, right, I'm, I'm assuming there's like nothing they can do at this point, assuming somebody doesn't lose to move up much past three in the playoffs, right?
1: Yeah, um, I've been I've been wondering about that, too. I mean, I feel like it probably is their ceiling and I think it's probably fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think people are finally talking about Clemson in the correct way, which is, OK, this is clearly one of the four best teams in the country. Like, clearly, this is a great team. This is a very balanced team. This is a complete team. Um, I think you can only really say that about Ohio State as well um, because, you know, LSU has just yes. been dashed defensively yep. the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah. And now I was, I was looking this up earlier. Um, they're actually like they're all the way down to like 47th in the country in total defense because Eesh. of how I mean, they've given up over 500 yards in the last two games. And um, so anyway, so so you could say they have the best offense, the best resume. But I think, you know, clearly Ohio State and Clemson are the most complete teams in the country. Um, and, and I think that that's that's what the committee will see because you put humans on the selection committee and you let them have that human element because you want ex-football guys players coaches you want them to say I saw this on this on tape I saw like this is a good defense this is a good front this is aggressive because they're trying to predict, You know, I mean, we we've had a lot of blowouts in the playoff semifinals, but they want to give us good games. Like they want the best teams so that they are good games. And fundamentally, like you want teams that can play defense for that reason. And I think, you know, we've seen the way they talk about Oklahoma and the Big Twelve, and and I wonder if they're going to start talking that way about LSU a little bit. Um, Like I, I do think there's there's definitely possibly a chance the last couple weeks of the season for Ohio State to slide up to one, even without mm-hmm. LSU losing. But I, I just think Clemson is probably capped at three because of the schedule. And they don't have what, like, Ohio State has Penn State, Michigan, Big Ten title game. Like, those are all going to be um, probably top 20 wins or opportunities and and Clemson doesn't have any of those and you know we're at this point where we're like what happens to the Orange Bowl if there's not another ACC team ranked at all in the top 25 you know so they, they just don't have those opportunities um and and I understand you know you're just kind of it depends where you play and all of that for the semifinal. um but I, but I think it's, I, I think it's ultimately fine. You just want to be in this thing, and you know we know how good Clemson is. We know how much better they get through the season, and how they're always kind of peaking when they get to the playoff. And it really hasn't mattered in the last few years the quality of their opponents down the stretch because they're just able to do that and get there. Um, so I, to me, it doesn't really matter what where they start in the playoff. I mean, I'm sure Dabo Swinney would prefer a certain location, but I mean, you know, it's kind of out of their control right now. Just, you know, you can't control teams on your schedule being down.
0: Yeah. And I think their best case scenario, and this will get us to the next game, honestly, is that Virginia tech wins out and then gets to the coastal uh, you know, wins the coastal, gets to the ACC title game. You know, gets there with three losses, and and then they can get a win over them, and that's at that point, Virginia Tech probably has slid into the top twenty-five, and that'll give them yes another one, one of those, yes. yeah, and then hopefully Texas A&M can keep hanging out around the twenty-five ish range. Yeah,
1: and- <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and that's the remarkable thing. And then you know, possibly once they play South Carolina, and they they have a common opponent with Georgia, like I, I kind of wonder if, and not that that would like boost them that much, but it adds an element um, because they do look at common opponents and that is a bad loss for Georgia. Yeah. Um, if it oh, were yeah. to come down to, you know, Georgia being the playoff picture. So like, there are some things that can help. Certainly as you're, you point out, Texas A&M sneaking into the top 25 would be huge um, for, for that reason, because you know, it's, it's such a weird year when everyone bashes on Clemson's schedule, when they schedule two sec teams, in the non-conference. Like obviously they always play South Carolina, but it's not like they were like trying to have a bad schedule. It's no. just that Texas AM had a brutal schedule, has some losses, isn't as great as we thought they'd be. And South Carolina's just not that good. And they're down to like their second and third string quarterbacks. And um, those aren't those aren't turning into quality wins that they should be when you're playing SEC teams in the non conference.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just circumstances, again, sort of beyond their control. But um, Virginia Tech, and we've touched on them a little bit, um, they continue to just look I I actually thought that game just judging on coastal laws right could end up being a little troublesome for them Uh, Georgia Tech seemingly was you know on the upswing played really well offensively against Virginia you thought maybe they're figuring something out on that side of the ball Um, well I don't think they cross midfield until the second half um, in that game Uh, and look Virginia Tech their offense is really clicking but you know their defense has been a little up and down at times so I thought well maybe Georgia Tech can figure out a way to hang in that game it's at Georgia Tech, but no Virginia Tech was not messing around in that game whatsoever. Forty-five to nothing, um, and Hindenhooker, he had it. I think he had three or four touchdowns on the ground and through the air. Like they just continue to look really, really good. And speaking of like in-state games that are already giving people anxiety, oh, my, I, <laughs> I <laughs> my Virginia
1: friends are just oh. are just like seriously. <laughs> you know, I was I was, I've been thinking about them all season because. Yeah. Even when Virginia Tech looked terrible in the beginning of the year, you could just feel that they were like, but they're going to be good by the time they play us. Like, it's going to happen. And, you know, you just felt it build and build and build. <laughs> and it's here and it's here. And there's actual paths for them to get to the title game. Like, and it's, it, it's just, it's just going to be crushing. And by the way, like, as someone who entered the season hoping for Virginia to win just so that we had seven different winners of the Coastal in seven years – yeah. And all, all seven teams getting represented because I don't think that would ever be matched by any other division ever. Um, I'm a little nervous about that now because, like, you know, we've got, we got some other kids. Like, I thought Virginia was going to be fairly easily coast to this. And clearly, you know, you don't coast to anything in the Coastal. Um, <laughs> in spite of the name. <laughs> in spite of the name. So, you know, I mean, it's definitely going to be dicey. And they've just played so tight in that game. Like last year, it was oh so God. tight in that game. Oh, uh, when just... they when they know they should win it or that they could win it, they play so tight.
0: Well, maybe that'll work in their favor because I doubt that they'll be favored in that game, honestly. Uh, Virginia is down, I believe, six defensive backs for the year, which is part of why Georgia Tech was somehow able to, you know, get a generate any sort of passing game. Um, and... You know, when you look at the way things are shaping out, it just honestly doesn't look good for them right now. Like you said, it just doesn't. It doesn't look good for them to be able to end this streak. But maybe, maybe they have that going for them—the fact that they're not supposed to win. Um, and yeah, I got nothing. I, yeah, I, 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 know, so I don't. Bad know. I mean, for I feel my bad Virginia Virginia like, yeah, they- I,
1: I, I understand <laughs> the fear and the. You know, I mean, listen. Like I went to Michigan, and. Despite the fact that Michigan just beat Michigan State pretty soundly, there have been so many years where Michigan State oh, yeah. looks bad. And then Mark D'Antonio gets them up for that game and they play lights out and they play like, by far the best game they've ever played. So like, I understand the fandom anxiety of that in-state rivalry where it really – the cliches come true and it doesn't matter like what people's records are because certain teams just – always elevate and they always play like beyond their means and and they that might not even need to happen in this case this year but like I understand that fear and anxiety
0: well the way that last year's game played out especially is yes like, you yes. know it's like all right maybe there's just some force at work here that makes yeah, it so that maybe we are cursed this team. <laughs>
1: maybe you're cursed and we also freaked out and got really tight and it just yeah. you know I I think yeah, I mean, it, it uh, like, I, I just, I totally understand the anxiety and like, that's the worst part about being a, fa- well, actually, yeah, I feel like that's probably worse than like a crushing loss. Cause like, just worrying about an upcoming game for weeks and days on end, I feel like that is probably worse.
0: Yeah, no, it, it it yeah that between that and like Carolina football fans watching the same game each week and like knowing how it will probably end, yeah, it's, it's like I don't know, it takes years. No wonder those two fan bases are more known for being basketball fans. Like it's hard to blame them uh, when you look at like their body of work on the football field. So yes, I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Um, uh, I don't want to talk too much about Florida State, Alabama State, because whatever, um, but it's interesting to me that Florida State, I mean, they win 49 to 12. James Blackman looks good. Um, uh, that's like literally it. It's interesting to me. Yeah. I think Odell Haggins interviewed for the job, I read over the weekend, um, the interim head coach. I don't know what to make of that. Um, <laughs> I, I get yeah. it. The players love him. Um, and I understand that. And I don't know much about him as a recruiter. It's certainly possible that they have some recruits coming in that would rather Odell stay. Um, if that's the case, I get it. But I don't know, man. (laughs) I
1: I will say that the last time we felt that way about a hire as Uh. an interim guy that didn't make sense. (laughs) He's possibly going to be coach of the year right now and probably making the playoff at LSU. So, I mean, I I do think that we are sometimes a little quick to dismiss interim coaches. I also think that sometimes they do get interviews as a courtesy because, you know, they, they really are stepping up in a big moment and like, you got to think that whoever the next coach is is going to keep him on staff. Like, that's part of the deal. So, like, yeah. you don't want to alienate him or be on bad terms.
0: Yeah. From what I understand, I think that was basically all but, you know, dictated to Willie Taggart as well. Not that he wouldn't have, but yeah, you, you, yeah. And I, I would think to. that the
1: next coach is the same thing. I mean, there's just certain non negotiable things. And, like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to keep him?
0: Right, exactly. No, I'm with you. Um, but that'll be interesting to see how this shakes out because um, that coaching search has been pretty wild already. Um, so, yeah, um, that's really the only thing worth mentioning from off of that game. Um, oh, boy. Syracuse-Duke. Okay. Oh, okay, no.
1: this one went a different direction <laughs> than I thought it was going to. I Me will too. Say, because I really thought that there had been no signs that Syracuse was going to win an ACC game this year like yeah. zero signs. I mean like every single time that Tommy Devito got hit basically. And just Duke has fallen off. Totally fallen off, but that was that was going to be their only opportunity for an ACC win and they got it.
0: Yeah, it's um and I I had this as a potential like zero zero type of game because mm-hmm. just because of how bad Syracuse's offense has been and how and like Duke's defense is actually pretty good. Like they they're pretty good defense, they just can't move the ball offensively. So what I thought was this could maybe be this really big offensive struggle and we're going to, you know, you know, potentially match like the 0-0 tie, you know, Wake Virginia Tech game, but uh 49 points for Syracuse yeah, like that that's was mm. very very surprising
1: and just like a full on I don't know. Again, like the whole ACC is is like the coastal this year. Like that was just so unpredictable. Um, and there, again, there had been. I mean, you'd, you'd seen signs that Duke was struggling, and Duke was down, and both teams were on long losing streaks. But Syracuse, out of nowhere, really.
0: It's the first time. Um, it's courtesy of my buddy Sean Crest who's been on this podcast. Uh, first time Duke has lost four games by thirty or more since two thousand five, and that was pre-cut. Uh, that was pre-Cutcliffe. Hmm. Um, I'll say this. Look, obviously nothing's going to happen to David Cutcliffe, nor should it. Like, let's let's get that out of the way. So I'm not saying that. But I think a year like this and the way that Duke has looked largely throughout the season, especially offensively, and that's his calling card... Um, I think that's going to dictate that he makes some changes in the way he approaches some things offensively. I know the fans are ready for Zach Roper to move on. He's been at that mm. program almost as long as Cutcliffe has, I think since 2008. Um, and the offense doesn't seem to be working, whether that's Cutcliffe running it or and Zach's a figure. I don't know. You know I've heard different things from Duke fans about that. Um, but either way, I think an approach... Change is, is maybe warranted here because this is as bad as we've seen them look since he's been there offensively. Yeah. Um, that, but obviously, look, we all know he's not going anywhere. I, I think that North Carolina game really broke them. Um, they really wanted to win that game and thought that they could and should, and um, obviously, they were a yard away from doing that. And. Yeah. Um, I think that just the whole way that last drive played out is sort of a microcosm of Duke's season. Honestly, it was not a well-managed drive, but they managed to almost score anyway. And then couldn't, they couldn't trust Quentin Harris to make a fade throw in the back of the end zone, you know, against North Carolina, which basically was down to like no cornerbacks at that point and instead try to jump pass. And I think that kind of sums up where they're at. Like they can't make throws right now. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Well, and it it was going to be a tough season, you know, like I had done their state of the program for the athletic and the off season. And, you know, they lost so much and they lost a lot of their guys that they lost the NFL. They lost them a little earlier than they were expecting to lose them. And it just clearly was going to be a tough season where they were going to be young in spots. There was basically going to be, you know, in in terms of like name recognition like none like quentin harris was going to be the only name you knew and you knew it because he was going to be the quarterback um and it was just going to be a struggle you know at skill positions key positions defensively um and you know we're certainly seeing that but you're you're right i mean it's it's not Getting better as the season goes on, even when they have been rough stretches. Um, and it's just you know, it's just tough. But you know, could could we chalk this up as like the the post Daniel Jones like letdown? Like, did he cast such a wide shadow over this program um, that they need to step out of
0: it? I think that's part of it for sure. You know, well, it- I, I do I do think he probably
1: like masked some things and was able to do something. Like there were definitely different things they were able to do offensively when you have someone like him.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because I think some of us and including me who covered Duke uh, when he was there and uh, we all thought like okay, we like Daniel, but it's like there's some there were some issues that we were kind of like, you know, is he as good as everybody says and and you know, I know he doesn't have as much around him and blah blah blah, but like You kind of look this year and you're like, oh, maybe he was, you know, maybe, maybe he really was, maybe he masked a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I mean, so like, that was something that, you know, in the whole pre-draft lead up, because I had done a profile on him and, you know, inside baseball, you'll, you'll enjoy this. So, you know, you, you have a travel budget each year and and you're trying to figure out where to, where to spend it. We decided that I, it wasn't worth going to Mobile where Daniel was training, um, to do the feature. So I just did all over the phone, talked to his family, his coaches, Duke people, high school, et cetera, et cetera, and reported out the feature. Um, and then it ran right before the combine. And then all of a sudden, in those next few weeks, he just became the most polarizing player in the draft. And we were like, man, we didn't even think it was worth like, Spending $1,000 to go do the story in person. Um, But basically, like, in part because I did that, in part because draft season is just a lot of talking, like, I found myself defending him a lot, not necessarily to go as high as he did in the draft, but as a first-round draft pick, um, in part because of what he didn't have around him. Um, And it had just been a few years since Duke had had players that could play at the next level at those positions. Um, and, you know, it was similar. Like I, I had done a big feature on Josh Allen when he was struggling in Wyoming and everyone's ripping him and they're not the same player. Cause he was throwing so many interceptions, but the year that he was really down and everyone was pointing at his numbers and saying like, you know, that this, that he should not be drafted that high. He lost um, top running back center, top receiver. Like he, he lost a lot of key pieces too. And it's interesting because people just see the name of the school and they're like, oh, blah, blah. But you really do need to look at the roster construction at the time because, um, I mean, looking back, we think about like what Lamar Jackson did at Louisville in a totally different way than at the time. Like he masked so many, so many problems, um, especially on that offensive line. And I remember us all being like, oh, imagine if he had a good offensive line but look at what he did with a terrible one. I mean, it was just, it was just remarkable. And um, obviously you saw how the program fell apart after he wasn't there. And it, it's, it's just interesting because I don't think that we as a whole, like we as the media and public and the outside world think about the context of like the personnel in some of these situations when we have these draft arguments, which are fundamentally dumb and is circular and annoying, but like We probably should add a little bit more context because we only seem to realize these things about like kind of how dire the situation was around them, like after the fact, instead of realizing it in the moment that like, okay, well, you know, there are not other NFL caliber players around them or the O-line this and that. And, um, you know, some of that stuff like we should know in the moment.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, everyone's, especially in the NFL, everyone's so obsessed with QB wins that, you know, it just, it tends to cloud every other bit of judgment and nuance that we could add to a discussion. And I think that's definitely happened around Daniel. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I I, I tweeted this over the weekend. I cover, for WRALsportsfan.com, I do cover all the local teams around here obviously so Carolina Duke and State primarily but like I have to send news alerts when their games are over for football and I I am so tired of like trying to find a good synonym for like a beatdown, basically, yeah. <laughs> like shellacked or or you know dominate. I, I you know Duke dominated by Syracuse, or I think I used shellacked by Syracuse because I like the alliteration. But I just I'm sending like the same news alert for Duke and State right now, and then mm. for Carolina essentially too. Like I have to figure out a new way to, to say they won it or lost a really a squeaker.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it was a really close game and a heartbreaking finish. So I'm yeah. essentially
0: like sending out the same news alert for all of the teams right now. Duke on a four game skid. Um, and then we get to, uh, the last game of the night, um, for some reason was the ACC network primetime game, although it was compelling, um, somewhat surprisingly for me, uh, Louisville at NC state, NC state loses its fourth straight. Um, this was their closest loss in a while though. So there's that, I guess. (laughs) Um, And yeah, Scott Satterfield, you mentioned earlier, gets bowl eligible. It's, that was really, really cool to see, um, this was my first time like watching I've watched Louisville plenty, but like a full game, just sitting down and watching them play. And I'm, r- I'm just so impressed with the way he coaches that team too. Um, they go for a fake field goal late in that game when they could have easily just kicked one and, and, you know, taken the safe play, but he, he didn't want to do that. And I respect that a lot, um, especially considering, you know, you see coaches go way too conservative all the time, but he didn't want to do that. Um, and he sort of put the nail in the coffin, proverbially, obviously like with that, fake field goal and it was a cool play design a really cool play to watch and and they I love the way he coaches this team like he coaches this team like he believes in them and like he trusts them and that's obviously a huge departure from Bobby Petrino who is like a human trash can um yeah
1: (laughs) no I no I I think you can totally tell that because I mean one of the most obvious things that made it clear that they were gonna have to fire Bobby Petrino was how obvious it was the players quit on him um and you know you hear that, and you can kind of like you you can tell that. Like I did a story on midseason coaching changes, and talked to a bunch of athletic directors who had made that decision, and that was kind of like reading between the lines. Like that is kind of what they all said. Like there's a moment where you can tell, um, and you know this is just the total opposite of that because there are so many players that were part of last year's team, um, and they really do like him. And I think that there's this there's you know, these relationships that have been made with the coaches and the players and positive reinforcement and like really letting them celebrate when they became bowl eligible. I mean, I was reading about like what that trip home was like and just how loud it was and how happy everyone was and all of these things. And it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's refreshing to hear that stuff because It doesn't need like these kids do not need to like have a horrible experience just because it's college football and it's serious, right? Yes, exactly. You don't need to get yelled at constantly and be treated like crap. Like you can have positive reinforcement. You can have true relationships. Like Scott Satterfield has been part of success everywhere he's been. App State. He was actually, you know, as you guys all know, like he was, you know, coaching in the game against Michigan. Um, and you know, when he was head coach there, I mean, you just look at the strides that, that program's taken since moving up a level, all of these things, you know, he has just been part of these program builds and it's because relationships, it comes down to that. And, um, you know, I've just, I've just been really impressed when I've talked to him in the off season and then throughout the season, there's the way that he went about this. Um, cause it really wasn't a great situation to walk through and you really did have to do it kind of individually, player by player, Um, And it's clearly worked. And and you're right about play calls and things like that that just show that you have faith in your guys, too. Um, And they've they've really stepped up and and answered those. And I think it's just a really cool, cool story and just so far ahead of where I thought they could be in year one.
0: Yeah. Um, And then on the uh, downer side of that, it's NC State. yeah, uh, it, look, they speak. You know, we talked about Duke losing a lot, um, and losing an NFL quarterback. NC State lost an NFL quarterback. They lost offensive linemen to the NFL as well. They lost wide receivers to the NFL. Um, and you know, when you lose that kind of NFL talent, unless you're in Alabama or you know, Clemson or it's a program like that that just sort of reloads, it can be really difficult. And when you add injuries into the mix, which NC State has had in bunches, especially on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive ones they've had have been just the kinds they can't afford to have as well. Um, Like their most experienced offensive linemen and things like that. It, it, it's just not good. It, it's not, it, it's a, it's been just everything that can go wrong. will go wrong for NC state this year. And what's troublesome. I think if you're Dave Doran, isn't that you have a rebuilding year. Cause I think everybody thought that, but this <laughs> schedule was designed for them to go to a bowl because it's a, it was an exceedingly easy schedule, Um, at least on paper. Right. And you know, it, it, they got to beat Georgia tech. I mean, that's just, that's what it is. They got a short turnaround. They got to go up to Atlanta and beat Georgia Tech. And if they don't, they're not getting to a bowl, no matter, you know, they can ruin North Carolina. If
1: if they don't like that's, that's a problem. You know, Georgia Tech is that's in a full on rebuild, like full on, we have to change out all the personnel. And they've just been a punching bag for so many teams. So you really like, you've got to win that game.
0: Yeah, you really do. And I mean, I don't know. And and NC State fans, I've been saying this, like they're just so used to seeing quarterbacks come into that program that end up in the NFL. And they've been on a great streak here lately. And I think... Um, they've been playing musical chairs at quarterback largely because they're trying to find the answer there. But it's not like you said; it, it, the nuance matters of what's around the quarterback. You know, they 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 lost their second most experienced receiver at the beginning of the season, and you know they they they're replacing offensive line and everything else. Like it's just it's all been a recipe for bad at, at NC State right now. Um, and yeah, they like you said, they that's one of those where they they've got to win that game. They really do. They've had trouble offensively state, but they've showed signs of life in recent games here I guess of being able to move the football a little bit. Um they're gonna need to keep doing that. Like they they, they yeah, have to win then, that game.
1: Yeah, I mean and then you got to look at some things in the off season, you know, kind of like the fundamental things about you know, recruiting and developing and building and all those things. I mean, because you know, the last time this this program was was truly really nationally relevant, it was kind of for a bad reason. It was kind of like, how did you have all of this talent on your team and lose four games? Reasons, and yeah. so <laughs> you know, it's just that that program is just kind of always in an interesting spot. Um, but but you're right, especially when like you're just so used to at least having consistency at the quarterback position. Um, and developing certain players, you know, they've had good linemen, as I was talking about from that season, went nine and four, Bradley Chubb, and those guys. So, you know, I, I just think they're in a, they're in an interesting spot, especially I think with North Carolina, with Mac Brown, I think is going to be on the upswing. I think, you know, obviously they're just a couple plays away from already being bowl eligible and things like that. Um, but, but you really feel something different around that program right now. So, you know, you just, you see other programs that are kind of poised to be on the rise and and you look at NC state and, you know, you got to do something.
0: Yeah, they're they're not in a dissimilar spot from Duke as well, in that, like, yes, they've had a lot of injuries on offense and, and and everything else, but they they have co-offensive coordinators this year. They lose Dwayne Ledford to Louisville, he was their offensive line coach and and that was a big loss for them as well. Um, they're gonna need to figure out something, I think, from a staffing perspective on the offensive side of the ball. I know state fans have had some frustration defensively, but they've had so many injuries on that side of the ball that like I don't know that you can really fault. Dave Huxtable and and the defense right now. Um, I I think it may be time to look into changing the offensive approach because I don't... Co-offensive coordinators, I mean, it can work, but uh, that's always an eyebrow raiser, I think, when we hear that. Like, because it's like... I well,
1: know. I still think I still think nothing will top. I think it was Michigan last year where it was co-offensive coordinators plus Jim McElwain was there as like a
0: quality control or something.
1: Uh, I mean, I think if he's in a position where he's like able to be on the sidelines or in the box, I think like, but he was like an offensive analyst slash like maybe even like a passing game analyst. Like, I forget like what in, it was. But like, yeah, they
0: have weird too titles. <laughs> many,
1: too many cooks in the kitchen. Seriously, because it was like three people who had had experience calling plays before. And I was like, who? And then you had Jim Harbaugh. And I was like, who is making these decisions? And like, they would get super conservative, make some really questionable calls. And it was like, well, yeah, you have too many cooks in the kitchen. So I'm with you in general on the, on those co Offensive coordinator titles. I think defensively it makes more sense just because it's just a different. It's not like it doesn't need to be like as uniform an approach to a game plan. Um, But, you know, you, you do run that risk sometimes where there is conflicting feelings, thoughts, approaches, whatever it is.
0: It's sad, but the dream around here now that all all we have left in, in the triangle for our college football coverage is uh, that NC State manages to win at Georgia Tech and then State and Carolina play for a bowl because that would be exciting. And there would be something that at would. stake, you know, it'd be something on the line like that would be very cool to watch. And look, if if Carolina plays the same game they've played against everyone, then State will be right in it and have a chance somehow.
1: <laughs> well, also, like it's basketball season now, so that's also positive for your area.
0: Yes, it is. But, you know, it's, it's
1: weird. <laughs> you yeah. love football. We love football.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, and I think, I think, you know, Carolina fans had an exciting home slate early and, and they haven't checked out, I think, but just some of them, like for their own sanity, I think they're just trying to. <laughs>
1: well, you know, I just think Sam Howell's a star. Like yeah. he's going to be a star. So like, you got to feel pretty good about the next couple of years. Like, Year one with any coach, again, like the Scott Satterfield thing is super remarkable because I just did not expect that kind of turnaround year one at places. And I think that what Carolina has gone through in the growing pains is like more a way more realistic year one experience. But getting Sam Howell is going to be huge. He's the kid's going to be a star.
0: Yeah. And that's definitely caused a lot of angst in this area, too, because, again, like Duke and State both have quarterbacks starting in the NFL right now and and are struggling at that position and then you look at North Carolina who has struggled that position the last couple of years and now they have the guy that looks like the next yeah. future NFL quarterback and yeah and yep. uh the other teams can't really move the football so um yeah no wonder it's moved on to basketball season around these parts but um it's
1: but that's also year-round
0: yeah. Although the weird, the weirdest thing too is that like, all, at least Duke and Carolina, they're not as good offensively from the basketball perspective as we're used to seeing either. So you know that that'll come around, but it's it's early. But like, yeah, they, they, it's like a weird role reversal that like Carolina football's offense is is better than the, the basketball <laughs> offense right now.
1: Can, can Sam Howell play?
0: Maybe, right? I don't know <laughs> Alright, well I'm going to get you out of here Tell everybody where they can find you Although I'm sure If you're listening to this You probably already know But go ahead and tell everybody Where they yeah, can find you
1: um, on Twitter It's at Nicole Auerbach A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H I guess I didn't need to spell that To the basketball fans In this conference um, And also on The Athletic um, And you can hear me on SiriusXM On the ACC channel Occasionally On uh, ACC Today in the Afternoon
0: Alright, thanks so much Nicole
1: All right, thanks for having me,
0: Lauren. Mommy, say bye, podcast. Bye, podcast.